0: Hello all, welcome back to another episode of the Casual Criminals. This is the first one for me, back from Christmas break. And I would say I'm feeling rested, but my wife and I, we thought, you know what will be a brilliant thing to do over Christmas break? What we'll do is we'll try and potty train our two-year-old. Uh, we were going to do it a few months earlier, but we had another kid and they're like, when you have another... This is not relevant to the show at all. I'm oh, sorry. just... just, just, just. Uh, after the break, I'm like, oh, there's things I want to say. There's updates I've got. <laughs> Whereas, really, I should just get on with the content. But, uh, yeah, my uh, we, we delayed it for a little while because we had another kid. And so, uh, you know, you don't want to change too many things because otherwise they'll be, like, uh, all confused and stuff. But I was I was going to say, I had a brilliantly restful break, but I didn't. Because I was just potty training a child who uh, is uh, difficult at the best of times. Nah, no, she's great. She's just uh, hard-headed. Like, she's stubborn. She doesn't want to, you know, she'd, she'd rather take a, a shit on the carpet, which is... Which is great, <laughs> which is great. Ah, uh, this is the Casual Criminalist. I hope you had a fantastic holidays, all of that good stuff. Uh, welcome back today, Israel Keys, the Phantom Psychopath, um, or Psychopath? 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 Psychopath, it sounds like I'm from the north, which is a bit weird. Also, addressing the pronunciation of this dude's name. Like, I, we say, his name is like the country, like Israel. And I know Americans say Israel, so i don't know if it's israel keys or israel keys um i'm definitely probably just gonna go with israel 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 like the british way because if i try and say it the let's see if this israel does he have an entry in the dictionary no he doesn't i'm gonna call him israel keys because i'm sure it's israel keys because of course it would be But um, I'm definitely going to screw that up, so it doesn't matter. Bear with me. Everything's going to be fine. Don't worry. Relax. Let's go. Oh, thank you, David, for writing the script. If you're new here, David writes, I read, Jen adds some stuff. She does the video edits and the audio edits. Brilliantly, might I say.
1: Fake it till you make it.
0: Let's go. It's the evening of the 1st of February, 2012. The city of Anchorage, Alaska, rests next to the frigid waters of the Cook Inlet on a strip of coastal lowlands flanked by the mighty Chugach Mountains, which loom large over the city. Being a port town that caters to the local oil industry and military bases, Anchorage contains roughly 300,000 people and 40% of Alaska's population. Wow, I mean, I knew Alaska was like not small, Alaska's large, but like barely populated but that is really tiny also Anchorage I mean no offence to anyone from Anchorage but this sounds like a really boring place <laughs> maybe beautiful like there's these nice large mountains but what's the town about oh, it's just there's a port there's some oil <laughs> there's 300,000 people I mean it's a large town but it it I don't know it doesn't sound that much fun it also has roughly 300 black bears and grizzly bears in nearby residents along with thousands of moose which are frequently seen wandering around the city and local highways <laughs> sounds dangerous as well Uh, in February the temperatures typically never rise above freezing even during the day oh my God and at night the temperature hovers between minus 10 and minus 30 degrees Celsius between 14 and minus 22 degrees Fahrenheit even by the standards of lifelong inhabitants of northern climes it's a pretty brisk winter to say the least yeah I mean I come from the UK and if it's minus temperatures there you're like oh it's bloody cold outside minus two now I live in Prague in the Czech Republic it's like minus 10 yeah it's all right it's not too bad it's not minus 20 is it it's not minus 20 um but no that is that's is really chilly i don't i wouldn't like it if it never rose above freezing even in winter here you know if the, i don't think there's a there will be weeks where it doesn't go above freezing but it's unusual scattered about anchorage are small coffee kiosks and people can just drive up to them and purchase a warm beverage from a drive through window in order to avoid leaving the warmth of their vehicles working at one such kiosk named common grounds is 18 year old samantha koenig she is a cheerful five foot four tomboy who fancies guns riding atvs fishing and camping <laughs> i mean i don't want to stereotype people from alaska but uh, 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 uh <laughs> samantha is also a recovering drug addict having fallen into excessive and debilitating cocaine use the year before it's almost 8pm common ground stays open later than most coffee kiosks in the city samantha is just clearing up in order to close the kiosk for the night thereafter she was due to be picked up at around 8 30 by her boyfriend Dwayne. uh <laughs> david's provided me with a pronunciation guide for Dwayne, which uh i mean i mean i guess thanks but also slightly insulted <laughs> and a man approaches the kiosk on foot and knocks on the window samantha opens it the man is wearing a black balaclava ski mask which in other contexts might be menacing but alaska is bloody cold so the sight is not even remotely unusual for samantha <laughs> it's like yeah balaclavas i mean when it's really masks right wearing masks covid masks in winter when it's really cold outside i'm like okay i'm just gonna just gonna keep this on when i leave a shop or a building or whatever because i'm like it's quite nice and warm on my face like a balaclava but the problem like balaclavas if they were just acceptable to be allowed just walking around <laughs> i feel like they're nice they keep your face warm as well as your head and neck it's like a hat a scarf and a face warmer all in one the problem with wearing a balaclava is like <laughs> you just it's just asking for trouble they'd be just you'll be walking past banks and you'll get arrested <laughs> the man hands her his travel thermos and orders a cafe americano which is an espresso diluted with water and sometimes a bit of standard coffee wait what an americano is just an espresso with hot water why are you adding regular coffee to it that's weird that's gotta be an alaska thing who's doing that samantha smiles and turns around to fill the man's thermos turning back around to collect the man's payment she stops and instinctively jerks back and raises her hands in the air the man in the black ski mask is pointing a pistol at her uh, maybe he's just got it for protection from all the bears annie just took it out because he thought it was his wallet he's wearing a balaclava. I mean <laughs> we, there's excuses for the balaclava not for the gun it's a terrible joke this is a robbery the man says calmly turn off the lights for the kiosk and kill the light for the open sign her arm still raised Samantha immediately does so her hand over the small panic button that is located just next to the light switch she does not press it if she had done a distress score would have automatically gone out to police dispatchers who would have sent along a patrol car yeah I mean we've discussed this on the show before i used to was it this show we talked about this i used to work in a supermarket and there was a panic button on the till and the guy who was doing me my, you know my orientation on the first day in the supermarket was don't press the panic button if someone's rubbing you just give them all the money and then once they've left you can press the panic button don't press it while they're there we don't want you to get hurt and if they see you pressing it they might stab you or something so just give them the money it doesn't matter. There's not that much money in the till. And in their minds, corporate thinking, and the lawsuit would be far more expensive than the money in the till, wouldn't it now? Although could there be a lawsuit there? You're just doing your job. Who are you gonna see? The supermarket? It's like it's not their fault. The guy with a knife came in and stabbed you. What are you gonna do? Sue him. He's robbing a supermarket. He probably doesn't have a ton of money. You'd hit the jackpot if you find out that that guy's actually a billionaire. And he just robs for the kick of it, like in movies, which I just don't think's a thing in real life although i guess people should like people shoplift if they have money because they get it what's it called uh there's a there's a disease kleptomania is it kleptomania or is that something else i feel like that's right people have that disease where it's just like they like stealing <laughs> it's exciting all told samantha reasoned that this was just a robbery and she all she needed to do was comply so the man would go away as soon as possible should then call the police answer a few questions and the kiosk's owner would make an insurance claim on the petty cash that was stolen exactly good thinking samantha although I get the feeling this is like one of those 911 situations where it's like yeah 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 no we're just hijacking the plane to uh, get some ransom and well you know how that one ends darkness descended on the small kiosk the main source of light now being the glow of street lamps shining through the window where the man was standing Empty the cash register and hand me the money, the man instructs her. Samantha does so, reaching through the window to hand the man the cash. Throughout this entire process, the girl does not utter a word. Turn around and face away from the window, the man says. Samantha does as she's told. The man reaches through the window and binds Samantha's hand behind her back with zip ties. Step forward, the man tells Samantha. She steps forward a few paces away from the window. and In one swift movement, the man jumps through the window, over the counter, and into the kiosk. Where's your car? The man asks her. I don't have one, Samantha replies. Who's picking you up from work? The man inquires. For some reason, Samantha lies and tells the man that her father is picking her up rather than her boyfriend. Did you press an alarm? The man asks, which Samantha denies. The man presses her. I've got an earpiece connected to the police scanner in my truck, so I'll hear if a police call goes out. You better not be lying. Samantha assures the man that she's not lying. Why are police scanners a thing? I feel like the police should be in talking on should be talking on some special encrypted police radio but then again i know you can listen to them online because i found out about it once and i was like that's cool but i mean we shouldn't i feel like it's not good the police should be allowed to talk secretly about policing stuff for reasons that are exactly this do they encrypt it nowadays they must why not come on the man takes a pile of napkins from the counter and forces them into samantha's mouth gagging her he grabs her, sticks the end of the gun into her ribs and pushes her towards the door move He commands, sir i feel that samantha survives i know this is serial killer but often david leads with or sometimes he leads with the person who survives it's like that cold open because and we know i feel like this is samantha telling the story rather than israel keys the serial killer because it feels like personal and not all psycho-y i don't know (laughs) it's just just got that non-psycho vibe the roads of anchorage Outside, the man marches Samantha across a large parking lot towards a white pickup truck he parked at the far end to avoid the vehicle showing up on any security cameras. As they make their way across the parking lot, the man sees a digital camera just sitting there in the snow. He picks it up, planning on selling it later. This is... Look, if you're committing crimes, don't, while you're committing crimes, commit smaller accidental crimes or pick up stuff from the ground to sell later. Focus on the task at hand. You're committing a major crime. This would be like, you know, driving a race car and being like, "Oh, yeah, no, I'll just I'll just I'll just pull over for some like a cigarette or something." It's like, "No. Focus on driving the race car. You're doing something that should require all of your attention, kidnapping a person." What's wrong with criminals? What are you doing? <laughs> Don't take that. Taking advantage of the man's momentary lack of attention, Samantha takes off running. The man, six foot two, muscular, immediately tackles her and sticks the gun back in her ribs. With only the slightest note of frustration in his voice, he informs Samantha that try that again and you're dead. The parking lot is well lit and not completely abandoned. There are other parked cars and a few people rushing out of the cold. After all, it's only 8 pm at night. Lean on me and pretend that you're drunk, the man instructs Samantha. She leans on him. Finally, they reach the truck and the man opens the passenger door and pushes Samantha inside. Still bound, she sits on her hands as the man pulls the seatbelt around her. The man walks around the truck and enters the driver's seat and slams the door. Very considerate putting that seatbelt on. <laughs> okay the man takes the napkins out of Samantha's mouth I'm going to hold you for ransom the man explains Samantha replies that her family is poor and he probably won't get much money out of them the man shrugs and says that was fine her family were likely to raise the money the man starts the truck's engine and they drive off into the night at this point I'd be more suspicious but then there's nothing you can do like I mean maybe consider fighting back now but it's like with the robbery absolutely I'd give the money and then I'd be sitting in the car and being like you're not kidnapping me you already lied about the robbery thing and my family's like broke ass so you didn't pick me for this there's plenty of other people you could have kidnapped for money the masked man proceeds to drive around anchorage for the next four hours going nowhere in particular with samantha sat quietly next to him he stops once by the roadside so samantha can squat and relieve herself he stops again so he can smoke a cigar (laughs) okay while they drive around the city they pull up to a set of traffic lights the light goes red and the man halts the vehicle pulling up next to them was a police car with two cops inside they're staring straight ahead waiting for the light to change oh my god now is your time now is your time samantha sits there and does not try to get their attention she has calculated that cooperation was the best way to get out of a ransom situation alive yeah but it's not a ransom situation sammy the lights turn i know oh simon you're such a genius with your 2020 hindsight but i know but but oh, but it's a kid it's more than a kidnapping the lights turn green and the two vehicles lurch forward and then part ways the cops were completely oblivious to the kidnapped victim a few feet from them the man pulls over again unbuckles samantha and takes her from the passenger seat and transfers her to the back seat of the truck where he lies her down noticing she is cold because samantha is wearing nothing but a work uniform and obviously didn't take a jacket when she was marched at gunpoint out of the kiosk the man throws a few blankets on top of her to keep her warm The man drives off again and stops in the parking lot of a local walmart he sits there for a few minutes thinking observing the large number of people still milling around the place Even though it was getting late my dude did you just kidnap someone without any sort of plan and now you're just driving around trying to think of a plan and smoking a cigar like dude think through just a little bit before you do these crimes what are you up to suddenly the man asks samantha where's your cell phone the girl tells him that it's back at the coffee kiosk the man pulls away and drives all the way back to common grounds leaving samantha lying quietly on the back seat of his truck he walks back into the kiosk when he initially had kidnapped samantha the man left the door unlocked the man retrieves samantha's bone he also picks up a few zip ties that he had dropped on the floor earlier and in order to stay and in order to delay suspicion for as long as possible this time the man uses samantha's keys to lock the door behind him as he exits the kiosk <laughs> so you've been driving around for hours and the one thing that you've come up with is go back to the crime scene and make it less suspicious you're breaking so many of our rules my guy like there are so many rules that you have to obey like clean up your crime scene, destroy the evidence, maybe don't leave a cell phone behind, maybe let her take her coat so it looks like she's actually locked up and gone somewhere else rather than been kidnapped. And now you're returning to your crime scene. What are you up to? Impersonating Samantha, the man sends two text messages, one to Samantha's boyfriend and another to her father, explaining that she had a bad day and was going to stay with their friends for the weekend. This story was aided by the fact that Samantha and Dwayne had had a heated argument the night before. Back on the road again, the man blindfolds Samantha. Around midnight, they pull into a small residential house in a respectable Anchorage neighborhood. The man momentarily leaves the truck and enters the house to make sure his girlfriend and 10-year-old daughter are asleep blindfolded and bound samantha is forced out of the back seat of the truck and ushered into the small shed around the back of the house within the shed are two large space heaters, which the man duly flicks on and a tarp forebodingly spread out across the floor uh-oh when there is a tarp spread out it's like it, that's it's it's not a good time He pushes samantha down onto a the only thing that's worse is you walk into a room and there's just plastic everywhere and you're like oh no oh no you're like the dexter guy ah he's gonna put a knife in my chest he pushes samantha down onto a small overturned bucket which she uses for a seat the man removes her blindfold and takes off his black ski mask oh no and now he's showing you his face ah oh, oh wait she no she had a bella, he had a cabalaclava on the whole time aye 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 the wee small hours in the morning Samantha looked up at the man in his mid-thirties slim clean-shaven short brown hair brown eyes which were slightly too widely spaced rubbery lips and a somewhat weak chin his face was impassive and unsmiling aside for his intimidating height the man was unremarkable an average Joe the man turned on a nearby said, wasn't he just six foot two is that intimidatingly tall The man turned on the nearby stereo full blast and began blaring heavy metal music if you try to scream he warned samantha no one will be able to hear you the man took a rope tied it around samantha's neck and then bolted the rope to the wall so that samantha was effectively held in place where's your debit card the man asked i don't have one on me samantha explained but i do share one with my boyfriend duane it's in his truck what's the address the man asked wearily samantha told him what's the pin number he asked samantha recited it to him the man donned the ski mask again, got up, and left Samantha tied up in the shed. He drove his girlfriend's car to the address Samantha provided. He parked at the end of the street and walked the short distance to a truck parked in the driveway of a nearby house. He used Samantha's keys to unlock the door of the truck and get inside. The man quickly finds Samantha's debit card. Just then, the porch lights of the house flicker on and the front door opens. Dwayne, Samantha's boyfriend, stands on the doorstep, staring at the masked man climbing out of his vehicle. Dwayne yells at him, get the f- out of here. For a few seconds, the two men stand there and glare at each other. Dwayne then goes back into the house to call for help. Terrible criminal. I mean, he's a terrible criminal because he's kidnapped someone, but he's also really bad at being a criminal. He just didn't think anything through at all. Isn't he serious? Is he a... S- oh, he's a phantom psychopath. He doesn't seem to be very phantomy so far, does he? Not losing a millisecond, the man legs it down the street, quickly checks over his shoulders to make sure that he's not being observed, dives into his girlfriend's car, and drives off in the opposite direction. While driving to a nearby ATM machine, the man realizes he's forgotten the PIN NUMBER. (laughs) You're the the worst criminal ever! He tests the PIN NUMBER, but does not withdraw cash. He drives all the way back to his house and barges into the shed. What was the PIN NUMBER again? Oh man, come on, (laughs) he demands of Samantha. She repeats it. The man dashes out of the shed, slamming the door, climbs back into his girlfriend's car and drives to a nearby ATM. He tests the pin number, but doesn't withdraw any crash. By this point, it's approximately 3 a.m. The man then drives back to his house. He does not go back to the shed, but heads into the house to make sure that his girlfriend and daughter are still asleep. He pours himself a glass of red wine. He sits back in a lazy boy chair and then gently quaffs his drink while he stares thoughtfully at the ceiling. A heavy drinker the man quickly works his way through half a bottle in a matter of minutes damn son <laughs> that's a lot of wine very quickly <laughs> it's another rule i swear on the list of rules if you're new here there's a gradually accumulating there's like 70 of them now like rules for criminals getting drunk while you're committing crimes is uh is one of the rules like don't do it because it's just not good you're not going to be better at crime if you're drunk Then he gets up, retrieves a glass of water, and takes it to the shed. He gives it to Samantha. She drinks it. He then unbinds her from the wall, cuts her zip-tie restraints, and offers her a cigarette, which Samantha accepts. The two have an awkward conversation as the heavy metal continues to blare over the stereo. The man unloads on her a highly cynical and slightly disjointed view of the world, which the 18-year-old girl responds to hesitatingly with mounting confusion. Then the man lays Samantha down on the tarp and binds her arms and legs again. The man rapes the victim twice over the course of just 10 or 20 minutes. It's got dark very quickly at this point samantha looks up at him and asks are you going to kill me yes the man says matter-of-factly with surprising calmness samantha tries to talk the man out of it but he won't be dissuaded he begins to strangle her and the man is excited by looking into samantha's eyes as she drifts in and out of consciousness nevertheless morning is fast approaching and the man realizes this is taking too long he stabs her in the back in order to speed up the process eventually samantha koenig dies ah oh. what it felt like it wasn't the words of a psycho! Ah, I saw... This is really disappointing. I really had it set up in my mind and I was like, everything's gonna be alright, she's gonna escape. Because she, we're getting this story from her! The man leaves her bleeding on the top in the shed. The man then re-enters the house, takes a warm shower, and wakes up his ten-year-old daughter and tells her to get ready for their trip. Ah, dude, I don't understand! A Luxurious Caribbean Cruise The man headed back into the shed, rolled Samantha's body up in the tarp, and shoved it her in a cabinet. The man flicked off the space-eaters to avoid the body rotting and starting to smell. Instead, within the shed, it would be preserved by the sub-zero Alaskan cold. The man locked the door of the shed, he then called a taxi, and went to the airport, and flew to New Orleans, where he departed on a 12-day cruise around the Caribbean that he'd booked months ago. Dude, that is so weird. That is so weird. You're just murdering someone there. It's like, oh, were you murdering someone yesterday? Off on a 12 day cruise today. Whee! On the morning of February 2nd, 2012, one of Samantha's co workers at Common Grounds entered the kiosk and noticed Samantha had not put things away properly from the night before. A number of espresso utensils were unwashed and there were cups and napkins strewn about the place. Then the co worker noticed that the cash register had been completely emptied. She called the police. Initially, police suspected that Samantha had stolen the money and scarped away somewhere with her friends because of Samantha's past cocaine and marijuana abuse for which she was in recovery, they assumed that the young woman had just relapsed and was off somewhere on a bender and after she had had a fight with her boyfriend. When the police finally reviewed the grainy security camera footage from the coffee kiosk on February the 3rd, all they saw was Samantha talking to someone at the drive-through window before turning off the lights and the man jumping inside. Initially, the police assumed that this was Samantha's friend or drug dealer. Police overlooked Samantha putting up her hands, the man at the window was out of view, and once the lights at the kiosk were out, they did not see the gun. The drug theory was supported by interviews with several of Samantha's friends, who also thought it likely she was on a drug binge, and a number of hours were wasted chasing up this theory police followed leads regarding samantha's connection with drug dealers people who were allegedly robbing those drug dealers and people who were conducting grow ops within local residential houses okay fair play police i mean her putting her hands up is a little bit suspicious though isn't it And we have looked into that um and also she's if you even if it's like maybe she's been convicted by drug uh, convicted kidnapped by drug makers or sellers or whatever drug people do um sh- She's been kidnapped. Okay, this isn't bad policing. It's not brilliant, it's just not bad. In case anyone is baffled at this point or shouting get your together police. Oh. I don't know, David, we've looked at some really bad examples of policing and this doesn't feel like the worst. Okay, the cameras went out, the man jumped in, they're like it's probably got something to do with drugs because she was on she was into drugs like previously. Her friends reckon she's off on a binge. The police reckon that as well. Uh, I don't think it's the worst policing in the world? Am I being really generous? Because normally, I'm all over that Like, what are you up to, police? But this isn't bad, is it? Like in many episodes of The Casual Criminalist, allow me to provide some highly intriguing insights that comes direct from a professional criminalist colleague of mine. What? David, you've been holding out on me. You have a professional criminalist colleague? That's like the opposite of me. I thought about calling this the armchair, uh, criminalist because you know like an armchair person or like a backseat driver criminalist or something like that but nothing quite had that same ring as casual criminalist but uh wow oh my god that person should definitely be hosting this podcast not me i'm just an idiot In the overwhelming majority of police investigations, let us say for the sake of argument 90%, investigators are not playing a game of Sherlock Holmes piecing together mysterious clues against an elusive foe. In the majority of police work, the obvious offender is already in their sights from the outset and the police just have to spend enough time collecting evidence to put forward a case against this person to the Crown or district attorney once police alight on a theory often by little more than intuition and experience they pursue it relentlessly rather than carefully weighing up each new clue and considering all possible explanations they also call this getting railroaded i mean obviously if you're guilty (laughs) then you're railroaded to prison where you belong but if you're innocent it's like if the police lock in on you and they're like convinced it's you you get that whole confirmation bias thing going on where you're like you see a clue and it's like it fits with our guy doesn't it even if it doesn't because it confirms your theory and human brains love having their theories confirmed and then boom the next thing you know you're in the chair electric chair that is this is america right yeah alaska alaska i'm always like yeah canada but it's not canada it's that weird slice of canada that belongs to america how weird is that Although as a British person person talking about weird slices of the world belonging to another country I realize I cannot really talk. It's only when investigators hit a dead end or some startling new information comes to light that they begin to consider other explanations and start pursuing other theories. But sometimes tragically the police will continue to pursue the wrong suspect right up to court or even conviction and many of the remaining 10 percent of crimes that are sherlock holmes mysteries go unsolved and that is why the anchorage beat cops ignored clear fucking evidence of an abduction for a more convenient explanation of a drug addict robbing her place of work to go on a bender hell if we want to be charitable just by sheer odds, in similar context, maybe nine out of ten times the local pd would have been absolutely right yeah and that's the thing like the reason they do this is because obviously it works most of the time. However, days turned into weeks and police began to entertain other theories meanwhile samantha's father began to make public appeals and drum up public support for his missing daughter he was also deeply angered that she was being written off as a junkie and a thief a vigil was held which hundreds of people attended the story of samantha's disappearance started to make it into the national news meanwhile her kidnapper rapist murderer was soaking in the sun thousands of miles away after his cruise the man went to texas to spend some brief time with relatives there why is this guy's life what are you up to where are your family (laughs) like i've got doesn't he have a job like the idea of he's got a kid and a wife i have a kid i have kids and a wife and a job and the idea that i could just like (laughs) find the time to go around murdering drive around for four hours smoke a cigar go to the caribbean for 12 days while listening to death metal in my garage in the garden and them not noticing (laughs) it's like what is your life how are you doing this I couldn't lead a double life. I don't have enough time. It would be impossible. On February the 15th, 58-year-old Jimmy Tidwell, an electrician who lived in the tiny town of Mount Enterprise, Texas, great name for a town disappeared without a trace in the early hours of the morning after leaving his night shift jimmy was short and mildly obese and not in the best shape to defend himself his truck was later found five miles from his house on february the 16th the next day in the small town of aledo texas samantha koenig's killer robbed and burned down a house while the owners were not home the man intended to use the fire as a distraction to rob a bank on the other end of town unfortunately dude you were on some you're just taking part in all the big crimes were you murder rape robbery what you'd like going for like some sort of bingo card of crime unfortunately the man lost track of time watching the house burn from a nearby hill and watching the authorities arrive so he abandoned his plans to rob the bank and again your crime planning is terrible you you get distracted very easily instead the man drove 30 miles to azel texas where he robbed a different bank concealing his face with a standard construction workers face mask eye protectors and a white hard hat that the fbi believes had belonged to jimmy tidwell more disturbingly the man was known to have short hair at the time yet the surveillance footage he has seen yet the, yet in the surveillance footage she is shown with long brown hair the fbi speculated that rather than the wig the man was wearing oh no i just read ahead on that he's wearing jimmy tidwell's scalp 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 dude dude no that's like wearing his face as a mask Sh- That's some, like, Ed Gein s*** right there. The man managed to rob $10,000 from the bank. Incidentally, Tidwell's body has never been found, but the FBI strongly suspect that, like Samantha Koenig, Tidwell is another one of this man's victims. Yeah, no s***, FBI. When you find the man who's missing his scalp, you'll be like, ah, okay, yeah. Yeah, okay, we know. Dude. Dude. That is not right. Now just before we continue with today's episode let me give a quick thank you to today's wonderful sponsors first up Wondry. Thank you Wandry. Look in the era of one of the most heinous serial killers of all time was a murderous crew who went curiously unnoticed the McCrary's? They committed countless abductions, murders, robberies and well just a bit of general mayhem wherever they went. New podcast from Wondery, Families Who Killed The Donut Shop Murders. It's a true crime miniseries that follows a family who banded together to terrorise small town America, embarking on a brutal crime spree that captivated a nation. Led by the criminal duo of Sherman and his son in law Carl, this, cold, this disturbed family targeted people working night shifts in donut shops. Why? Well, Listen to that mini-series to find out, why don't you? In The Donut Shop Murders, you'll hear the details of their story for the first time from one of the McCrerys and the detective who tracked them down across the country as they left death and destruction in their wake. That's extremely cool. Both sides of the story there in a podcast, in a mini-series, that you can get for free. What? And look, if you love this show, if you love The Casual Criminalist, why not go check out this mini-series? It's going to be like what we do, except in way more depth. And they've got both sides of the story. That's very cool, Wondery. Follow Families Who Killed the Donut Shop Murders on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can binge all six episodes ad-free. That sounds nice. By subscribing to Wondery Plus in the Apple Podcasts or Wondery app. Brilliant. Also, many thanks to a rather different sponsorship to that previous one, Bitpod. Yes, look, what time of year is it? It's the New Year resolution time. What are you thinking about? Get back into shape. I don't know. Look, I ate too much over Christmas, and I started this new year, and I'm like, let's uh, let's get back on the train of not snacking all the time on leftover Christmas dinner and all of that stuff. But look, balancing between work, family, and life in general, preach. As a man who works a lot, and as a family two young kids that rings rather true and it can be hard to make fitness a priority can it ever you need a program that works with you not against you Fitbot's innovative algorithm learns your goals by tra- and training abilities and crafts a personalized training regime that's unique to you because this is true you can like google how do i do this how do i do that but the problem is everyone works in different ways everyone starts off at a different weight has different preferences all of that stuff You know it's good to have it tailored to you and algorithms of course technology makes that all possible with fitbod start the year off right with 25 percent off fitbod membership and i just say look fitbod isn't about comparing yourself to others <laughs> yeah that doesn't end well it's like why aren't i like the rock i eat well and i work out it's like why aren't i like him don't compare yourself to others especially the rock you know <laughs> It's not going to work out well. Their algorithm uses data to create and adjust a dynamic fitness plan just for you. You'll have access to your personalized routine on their easy-to-use mobile app so you can start making progress on your goals anytime, anywhere. Look, goal setting, doing it with an app, making everything possible. New Year's resolutions, they're hard to stick to anyway. Right, so why not make it easier on yourself? Set those goals, get that program, take advantage of the technology that is possible because of BitSpod, yes, plus uh, HD video tutorials to make learning a breeze. It integrates with all that technology you have like Apple Watch, etc. Plus, good if you're on a bit of a budget, because it's only $12.99 a month, dollars that is, or $79.99 a year. Sign up now, you get 25% off your membership. Mandatory call to action. What's that? Get 25% off a membership when you sign up now at fitbod.me. That's F I T B O D.me slash casual. 25% off your membership at fitbod.me slash casual. And thank you to our wonderful sponsors. I'm back to today's show. A macabre photo shoot. The kidnapper, murderer, rapist, burglar, arsonist, and bank robber return. Oh, yay, yeah, did arson as well. Dude, what is next? Genocide? he returned to alaska on the weekend of february the 18th 2012 and spent saturday and sunday with his daughter then on the following monday when his daughter was at school and his girlfriend was at work the man went out to the shed he pulled Samantha koenig's frozen body out of the cabinet unrolled it from the blood-soaked tarp and proceeded to defrost the body with the two space eaters and a blow dryer oh no no i just i just get the feeling i know what he's gonna do next and i don't want to go there because it's super fucked up oh he did look you know what happens I don't need to say that he yeah okay Mm mm-hmm let's just add necrophiliac to the list and we're done then the man painted the body's face with thick globs of makeup to hide the pallid color that came from freezing and exsanguination. he braided the corpse's hair tried to superglue the eyelids open but failed instead he sewed the eyelids open using a curved needle and fishing line He placed a layer of duct tape over the mouth and around the back of her head to hold the now drooping defrosted skin in place and to conceal the fact that the young woman was dead. The man held up a February 13th copy of the Anchorage Daily News and took a Polaroid of the girl who he hoped the authorities would believe was still alive. This effectively gave the man an alibi since he was out of town from February 2nd to February 17th as a point of interest the FBI have never released the photograph good and the one which circulated around the internet is a mock-up from a true crime show that aired in the United States I mentioned this in case the more morbid of you decide you want to look it up if you're one of the if you're if you're watching this right now and you uh, while well, listening to this Google that image ah <laughs> check yourself or in case Jen decides to Google this and helpfully throw it up on screen it's a fake and lots of people apparently believe it's the real one not us on casual criminalist that's why we rise above. <laughs> That's right. That's right some self praise for David. It's not really my praise. I just read David's great words. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Use I mean I was praising the show not myself. Using an old typewriter, the man wrote a ransom note. He demanded $30,000 to be deposited... <laughs> Where you gonna... Where's a broke-ass family going to get $30,000, my dude? Be deposited into Samantha's bank account so he could withdraw the money. He mentioned that he may not use the debit card much in Alaska due to the fact that the state had a small population and thus a smaller pool of suspects but wrote that he would be leaving soon and would use the card from multiple locations as a form of misdirection the killer mentioned that Samantha had tried to get away twice once outside common grounds and again quote in the desert dude you're in the Alaska is the des I guess there's like winter deserts or snow deserts or whatever they're called like I think Alaska I think uh Antarctica is technically a desert isn't it because it's so dry but dude weird man weird finally the killer wrote that once the thirty thousand dollars had been fully withdrawn between six months to a year later the man would text the coordinates of an information packet which would contain all the details required to find samantha's location dude if you're getting thirty thousand dollars over a year what's the point just go get a job that pays thirty thousand dollars i mean does that sound super like privileged and how easy it is to find jobs but is thirty thousand dollars that's not even a particularly well-paid job is it if we're honest is that right i don't know it's also america it's slightly different like in the uk i feel like that's you know below average i've got to look that up um, it's been a while since i know what this is what is average average american salary wow it's literally the first thing you look up when you search average american whoa okay my bad it's fifty-six thousand. oh wait no that is i was right so that's not a good salary Why are you spending a year doing this just go get a job you lazy bum thereafter the man dismembered samantha koenig's body cut it into five pieces he then went to matanuska lake which was frozen over at that time of year he built an ice fishing hut drilled a hole in the ice and spent two days dropping the pieces of the corpse into the water uncovered wrapped with cord and sent down to the bottom with lead fishing weights thereafter the man would fish at the exact same spot and take the fish home to cook and feed to his family on friday february the 24th at 7:45 pm the man sent a text message to samantha's father which read connor park sign under pick of albert ain't she purdy the pick of albert referred to a lost dog poster for albert the golden doodle located in an anchorage park under the poster on the ground was a ziploc bag containing the ransom note and a black and white copy of samantha's fake proof of life photo there was some disagreement among anchorage police and fbi investigators about whether samantha was alive in the photo Her blank stare and odd expression convinced a minority of investigators that they were looking at a corpse an fbi snuff film analyst was called into the investigation but they could not reach a conclusion based on the single black and white photograph. Follow the money. Police deposited the $30,000 ransom payment into Samantha's bank account on February the 29th at nearly midnight. $500 was withdrawn from an ATM in Anchorage. Police arrived on the scene shortly after the culprit left the area. The ATM camera showed grainy footage of a masked man. Then, just after midnight on March the 3rd, another $500 was withdrawn from an Anchorage ATM. The small withdrawal amounts were due to the daily limit placed on the debit card. Four days later, on March the 7th, $400 was withdrawn from an ATM over 3,500 miles to the south. In in wilcox arizona at 9 57 p.m that is a mega journey a couple of hours later near midnight the man traveled to withdraw another 400 dollars for an atm in lordsburg new mexico but failed due to the daily limit so wound up only taking out another 80 dollars it was clear that the man was driving hundreds of miles to keep authorities off his scent two days later on march the 9th 2012 at 11 23 p.m again i just gotta wonder you're driving Hundreds of miles for 500 bucks. I mean, 500 bucks is a decent amount of cash, but you, you, did you drive 3,500 miles? Isn't that expensive? I feel like petrol's not cheap, plus all the miles on the car, plus like snacks, plus you're in a car for bloody ever. Two days later, on March the 9th, 2012, at 11:23 pm, the man made a $483 withdrawal from a bank in Humble City, Texas it's very specific can you choose (laughs) normally when you go to the atm it's like how much do you want i don't know pounds i guess dollars work about similar it's like i don't know twenty dollars fifty dollars hundred dollars is a hundred pounds still the most that you could get from a cash machine i don't even know anymore i pay with cards so much these days This time in the camera footage from the atm police identified a white ford focus as the man's vehicle texas authorities were immediately alerted to be on the lookout for such a vehicle in connection with the kidnapping meanwhile samantha's killer attended his sister's wedding in wells texas a few days later at 11 a.m on march 13th the highway patrolman spotted a white ford focus parked at a quality Inn hotel in lufkin texas police texas had already been alerted about a white ford focus in connection with a kidnapping in anchorage alaska I feel when was this 2012 Ford Focus is a ridiculous it's I mean it's ridiculously popular in Europe and Ford is an American company there must be focuses everywhere and I mean white is hardly an unusual color by way patrolman observed the car from a distance then noticed a tall man in his 30s get into the vehicle and depart either way just be like yo 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 <laughs> let's go check that guy for a debit card can you just search someone probably not right you'd have to get that's going to be tricky you can't arrest someone because they drive a white ford focus and are in their 30s it almost describes me except i drive a white volvo at 11:45 a.m the patrolman pulled the car over for going two miles over the speed limit the officer inspected the man's driver's license it was issued in anchorage alaska oh boy it's adding up it was at this point that the patrolman felt fairly confident that they'd found their man FBI agent Ganaway set out with the Texas Ranger towards Lufkin, Texas to observe the arrest and inspect the vehicle. In the rental car, police found a pair of women's pink panties, a gun, also a ski mask and white tennis shoes worn by the suspect on the ATM footage. Mate, you are busted. If this turns out to be just a wild coincidence, I mean, come on. There was also a batch of transgender porn, rolls of cash stained by a dye pack, and Samantha Koenig's ATM card and mobile phone. Well, that's it. Busted. Why are the rolls of cash stained by a dye di- Oh, because he robbed a bank? Of course he did. You're yeah, the most terrible criminal ever. How did how did you actually manage to commit these crimes? You're so incompetent, I'm kind of amazed. The man was arrested. Upon questioning, he claimed that he was in Texas to attend his sister's wedding and was driving to see the Grand Canyon. Mate, yeah, but what about the debit card? The women's panties, the die-pack stained cash? You're going to jail forever hopefully or maybe you'll you know where is it texas anchorage alaska i feel like these are places where they're definitely you know i feel like name american places that have the death penalty texas absolutely number one place that enters my mind because you know yeehaw and then anchorage alaska i just feel because there must be lots of criminals in alaska right it's where they all go i feel like it's just a trope (laughs) like where you're gonna head up to alaska after committing crimes they'll be they'll be They'll be you know, they'll be executing up there. He asserted that the suspicious items in his possession were thrown in his car by an unknown individual. Not really. (laughs) along with the anchorage alaska id police in alaska meanwhile paid a visit to the man's home in anchorage where nobody answered the door they matched a truck parked in the driveway to one captured on home depot camera footage pulling out of the same parking lot where samantha koenig had been abducted from common grounds on the evening of february the first the truck was registered to a man named israel keys meet israel keys israel keys was born on the 7th of january 1978 in the tiny mormon community of cove utah to john and heidi keys who even by the standards of mormonism were quite eccentric religious zealots david has underlined that i guess they were really zealoty uh with some unusual and perhaps even heretical views israel was the second of ten children all of whom were born at home and had no birth certificates (laughs) what i mean even if you're born at home isn't that something you have to get At some point in your life you're going to need some and someone's going to say can i see your birth certificate like to get a passport or a driver's license or something although i'm just thinking now i the i only saw my birth certificate for the first time in my life when i got married so maybe we don't actually need those also i remember in the past they used to be acceptable as forms of id (laughs) it's like but there's no picture on there it's just a certificate and mine looks all old school Israel and his siblings were homeschooled. They acquired literacy by memorizing the Bible. (laughs) Well, Aside from theology, their education mainly consisted of practical skills involving hunting, carpentry, cooking, sewing, cleaning, along with advanced survival skills and wilderness skills. The emphasis was on God, family, and self-reliance. John and Heidi were transplants to Utah from Los Angeles, seeking a life away from the corruptions of civilization and the interference of the state. Essentially, John and Heidi were doing their best Dutch van der Linde impression i mean if i think of we're talking about like places in america where you immediately think they're the death penalty it's like yeah texas baby i feel like the place if you would asked name two more different places salt lake city los angeles they are i've been to both salt lake city is flat and i don't know (laughs) it just feels like i don't know just (laughs) mormony and los angeles is like is it is no vegas is sin city los angeles is the city of angels why do i know know this movies too many movies isn't there a movie called city of angels starring nick cage legend if you haven't seen that trailer for the unbearable weight of massive talent do yourself a favor turn off this video go check out that new trailer for that nick cage movie and then come back to this i'm very much looking forward to that actually don't do that carry on watching my video try and be a good youtuber or podcaster fact boy come on John and Heidi had a tense relationship with their community in Cove. On a few occasions, neighbors called the authorities to make welfare checks on what they perceived as strange goings on at the Keyses family home. In 1983, John and Heidi rejected Mormonism and moved north to the top of Aladdin Mountain, Colville District, in Washington state. The entire Colville District had a population of roughly 4,000 people and a landscape covered with forest connected by a network of narrow dirt roads here john and heidi rented an isolated one bedroom cabin which did not have electricity or running water while john took several years building a cabin of their own firmly clasped in mother nature's embrace the keys family could do as they pleased it should be noted that in the one bedroom cabin john and heidi conceived several more pregnancies while sleeping in the same room as their existing children (laughs) is this uh, that's, uh, I don't know, how old are those children? I, I mean, now, <laughs> way too much insight into my personal life. But it is a question, like, because, you know, when do you... <laughs> this is way too personal. <laughs> but it's like I live in an apartment, it's like, yo, when do we have to be like... When, when do the kids become aware? <laughs> Stop it, Whistle. Carry on. In order to make ends meet, John Keys. <laughs> They're still in a different room. They're not in the <laughs> Just felt I had to clarify that. Um, too much information. Oh my god. In order to make ends meet, John Kees <laughs> out his services as an appliance repairman. How, how are you an expert on appliances? You don't even have electricity in your house, John. You weirdo. All their neighbors... Simon being like, ah, oh, Simon, don't call people weird who don't want electricity in their house. That's not weird. That's just alternative living. And I'm like, yeah, but it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> Subjectively weird. Because everyone else is like, you know what's great electricity sucks when the electric goes out all their neighbors were of similar philosophical dispositions they were devout Christians without traditional denominations they homeschooled their kids they preferred to live in nature far removed from the interference of the United States government stupid government what's it ever done for me uh, so whatever I hear that, it's like I don't know loads of shit. like literally you're living in a country that is possible because of your government I mean I get it like I'm um, Small government, I guess like I get that but when it's like when you're like no government It's like bro. Do you have any idea how quickly things would go to with no government? Have you seen any disaster end-of-the-world movie governments? I mean government is bad and it does all this stupid and wars and wasting money and I get it But it's like no government No government <laughs> That's even an argument? The neighborhood would regularly meet for potluck dinners, theology meetings, and playdates between the children of the different families lack of proper medical care and dentistry in the community left israel with slightly crooked teeth and deformed toes from wearing second-hand shoes that were several sizes too small from the age of eight israel helped john uh, out john's business and with the construction of the family cabin by age 12 israel had become a seasoned hunter and supplemented his family's diet by shooting skinning preparing and sometimes even cooking the animals he bagged I mean this on the other hand like nature i love nature like i live in the city but i have a small like uh country cottage in the middle of the forest and it's got like electricity obviously because it's 2022 and it's got it, it's not it's got running water but it comes from a well and stuff you know there's a pump that brings it all up and i love it i like every my wife likes she's more of a city girl but i'm like every weekend i'm just like let's go let's go let's go to the country and i just want to hike in the forest and like cook on the barbecue and just do because I, I grew up in the countryside and i love that <laughs> but then after a few days i'm like can we go home and order chinese food <laughs> have every meal delivered to the house and uh, i mean it's just easier isn't it oh just not just the food thing but life in general it's like oh no i forgot something in the country it's like a half an hour drive to the store <laughs> in the city it's like cool there's a shop literally downstairs And if I don't want to go downstairs, like the one minute walk across the street to the shop, I can order it and someone will bring me milk (laughs) for like a few dollars. Oh my God, we live a ridiculous... In a ridiculous world don't we Uh, he had become a proficient marksman gunsmith and developed a hobby of repairing restoring and tinkering with old firearms because the keys were a family of 10 and evidently because both john and heidi were pretty useless as both carers and providers the keys family came to rely heavily on israel to provide to repair things to cook to clean and even to braid his sister's hair imagine being upstaged in parental duties by a tween yeah be fairly embarrassing and it would give me a strong reminder that i should get my parenting sh-t together in 1990 the keys family began attending the ark church the ark was a cultural supremacist organization which preached anglo-saxon anglo-saxon christian superiority oh my god until now <laughs> i didn't even know that was a thing and i'm depressed that that exists isn't that i feel like that's just another i feel like that's just wait anglo-saxon isn't that like that's white people basically <laughs> So is this basically a white supremacist church, just with a name that doesn't say white supremacist in the title, for obvious reasons? Although I feel like if you're in the middle of nowhere and you're like, "Fuck the government, they got doing nothing for me," then you'll be like, "You're, you're like, yeah, you'll be like, I'm a white supremacist, I love that shit." I feel like you're already you've already fully embraced that, you know, <laughs> alternative lifestyle of white supremacy people that di- up uh, alternative <laughs> lifestyles are okay it's like yeah but not when they're white supremacy is it that's not okay uh there is a slight difference here between the arc and a full-blown white supremacist organization thank you david uh, the latter of which would more likely preach that a genetic difference favors all nordic european whites of any cultural backgrounds what okay oh, okay so it's just well that's just racism isn't it it's like no 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 it's not racism And that's not racism, we're just genetically superior. It's like, mate, (laughs) well, you're obviously not genetically superior in the intelligence department because that is racism. (laughs) instead according to the ark's doctrines the anglo-saxon christian principles on which the united states were founded were betrayed by non-christians catholics communists non-english europeans including german scandinavians french and scots and of course all non-european immigrant cultures while the church itself entertained the idea that any person could be assimilated into anglo-saxon christian culture its community was largely composed of white predominantly those of english descent it's like no we're not racist we'll accept anyone into our group it's just a coincidence that we're all super super white more bizarrely the church preached that the anglo-saxons were descended from the original israelites and that the ancient jew and that ancient jews were all converted to christianity by the year 600 a.d and any jewish people who exist in the world today were imposters Damned by Satan, who had nefarious purposes, and sought to undermine Western civilization out of vengeance for past injustices. Oh, look, an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. That's unusual. That sarcasm. Uh (laughs) Ah! So, at least in regard to rampant anti-Semitism, the Ark was indistinguishable from a typical US white supremacist Christian organization, while at the same time bizarrely preaching that English people were the original Jewish people. Feel free to pause the video and take about 2 minutes to 20 years to figure out the logic of that one. It is absolutely dumb. Oh, what a surprise though. What a surprise. (laughs) The racists are stupid. Shocking. And bear in mind, this wasn't some backwards hillbilly cult from the 19, from the 1820s. This was 1990. Uh, the Keys family doubled down on their community spirit and also attended the nearby Christian Israel Convent Church, which had a similar biblical interpretation, doctrines of belief, and an orthodox historical perspective. <laughs> an orthodox historical perspective. Uh, incorrect. <laughs> There's another way of putting that. It's worth noting that both of these churches still exist with some rebranding in Washington State today. At this second church, twelve-year-old Israel Keys met seventeen-year-old Chevy Kehoe and his younger brother Shane. I mean, that is David again provided me a alter, uh, a spelling guide, a pronunciation guide for Shane, um, because it's not spelt the traditional way. It's spelled C H E Y N E, which is a bit weird, but okay. Six years later, Chevy became a full-blown white supremacist, supremacist, Na- Aryan Nation, Nazi. Surprise. <laughs> and he went on to murder a married couple and their eight-year-old daughter in 1996 during a home invasion and robbery and in 1997 survived a vicious shootout in police with police before going on the run and eventually being captured he was executed by lethal injection on the 14th of july 2020. and no tears were shed But his brother shane except by his brother shane but no one cared uh, was also involved in the 1997 shootout and got 24 years in prison good which was reduced to 11 years Eh, eh. Before being rearrested in twenty thirteen for illegally stockpiling firearms. That damn government They'll never take my guns! except they did and you went to prison didn't you because you were illegally stockpiling firearms don't do it israel himself dipped in the extreme opposite direction as chevy kehoe israel rejected all his family's religion and ideology completely by the mid-1990s and instead of full-blown white supremacy he gravitated towards a loose adherence to the principles of satanism holy sh- I mean, anything's better than the crazy white supremacists living in the forest, I guess. But Satanism? Uh, only the barest outlines of the belief system of his childhood, namely a violent disdain for the decadence of wider society and a hatred for modern America, remained. He's kind of sounding like a stupid version of the Unabomber. I mean, the Unabomber's just, like, that, that thing, we should cover the Unabomber on this channel, but that, the uh, industrial society and its decline or whatever, it's like, the Unabomber is a bad dude, but he's obviously very smart. By the age of fourteen, <laughs> Simon, don't be praising the Unabomber. By the age of fourteen, Israel would run with some of the local boys and his younger sisters and wreak havoc in the community. They'd set fires and torment wild animals. One of their favorite activities was to shoot BB guns at a house. If no outraged occupant came out, the kids would break inside and move around the furniture slightly to freak out the neighbors when they returned. I mean, <laughs> this is like. It's like just stupid kid behavior. Although I never broke in. We played with BB guns for sure. And uh, I don't know. I never broke into anyone's house, though. (laughs) Other times during their break ins, they'd steal valuables and more frequently guns. Holy sh, I definitely didn't do that uh of which there was an unsurprising abundance in the area it was during this time that Israel acquired a pistol which he concealed and carried on his person at all times by the age of 14 Israel had grown to a scrawny but substantial six feet tall in that same year of 1992 when Israel was still 14 he expanded his targets to domestic pet uh oh (laughs) no I mean I feel like I knew this even before I started doing this podcast but it's like yo 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 parents caregivers whoever, friends, (laughs) if one of your friends slash enemies slash anybody is torturing and killing animals, keep an eye on them, all right? I mean, definitely. Do you tell the police? Yeah, I mean, that's like killing animals is a crime, right? I mean, if it's someone's animal, I guess you could just go kill a deer or whatever. But if you're like torturing animals and shit, just, I mean, that person's going to grow up to be a psychopath. It's just, I mean, right? (laughs) It's that number of animals I tortured as a kid zero (laughs) who does that it's weird i mean i'm not saying that you're going to become a psychopath but i mean get some help okay he completely disgusted his friends by shooting cats and dogs one time israel turned his sides to his sister's cat which kept getting into the trash and making a mess israel a group of local teens and one of his other sisters took the cat into the woods israel tied the cat to a tree with a 10 foot long parachute cord He shot the cat in the stomach. In agony and panic, the cat ran circles around the tree, trying to get away until the cord ran out of slack and the cat smashed its skull into the tree and started vomiting blood. Israel just laughed. Israel, you psycho. I mean, in a way, it's like, look, (laughs) if I was a person and a random cat or animal just started going through my trash and, like, cutting the bags open and doing all that, I'd be like, oh my god, I want to shoot that cat. I mean, I wouldn't actually do it, but I could understand where someone with... I don't know, less mental balance. (laughs) Not that I'm like super mentally balanced or anything. Uh, Would want, would actually, you know, just like, just pop that cat off because it's really annoying. I mean, but then like you tie it to a tree and shoot it. That's basically torturing the animal. And that's, that's a bit much. And also just randomly killing cats and dogs is a bit much. I mean, (laughs) I don't want to say I understand why he killed a cat, but it's like, yeah. If a cat kept shit, I remember my parents getting absolutely batty Because uh, our our neighbors had a cat and it would, cats don't like in their own area. So this cat would constantly just hop over the fence, take a big old sh** in my parents' garden and then just go back. And this happened all the time. My parents were like, that cat. (laughs) they would have shot that cat I mean they wouldn't have but you get my point let's carry on but when he's turned around he noticed that all the other kids seem traumatized <laughs> surprise one of the boys was bent over violent being violently sick on the ground one of the kids told his parents "You confronted John and Heidi keys who punished Israel From that point forward, Israel ceased hanging out with any of the local teens or his sisters, and conducted his sadistic activities in the woods on his own. It was at 14 that Israel realized that he was drastically different from all the other people he knew. At 16, Israel moved out to a nearby cabin that had built for himself for privacy. By this point, Israel displayed most of the symptoms of primary psychopathy. He lacked empathy, was incapable of genuine guilt, enacted cold and calculated cruelty, lied when it suited his advantage, and maintained a facade towards others in order to get what he wanted. Israel often opined that his mind was inhabited by two people the fake everyman and the cruel to mentor and during adolescence that cruelty graduated into sexual sadism yet in adulthood israel became a highly intelligent organized high-functioning psychopath who was able to mask his desires and cover up his deeds really (laughs) honestly from the first like 20 pages or it's not been 20 pages it's been a lot of pages uh i kind of thought he was a bit of a criminal like he put that body and just then went on a cruise <laughs> what are you up to that doesn't seem like the most intelligent move like if you've i i mean i don't want to say like dispose you know if you've got your to-do list and you're like okay things i've got to do before I go on vacation turn off the gas uh you know lock the door dispose of the body <laughs> it should be on your things to do before vacation and just i mean it should shouldn't it <laughs> really highly intelligent while occasionally a few people who met him might have feel might feel the instinctual alarm bell that the man was creepy until his arrest in 2012 most people had no idea what israel keys was really like or what he was capable of after the abduction of samantha koenig and right up to being identified as the driver of the white ford focus who had frequented the ransom atms Keyes was not even on the police radar It's interesting, right? Like, these people have such a good facade. It's like, I think of all the people I've met in my life. You know, hundreds of people, maybe thousands of people. And it's like, no one in my mind is like, that guy was a psycho. (laughs) Like, there's no one in my life who I think, I mean, maybe if I really thought about it, there could be. But I've met psychopaths just because statistically, isn't like one in a hundred people or something a psychopath? So you've met lots of them in your life. And how many times have you been like that, guys? Definitely psychopaths. Definitely Shut up, iPads. <laughs> I'll tie you to a tree and shoot you. Not really. I'm not a psycho. Also, it's just an iPad. Seems... Shh. Ah! I just turned the volume off! Why? Why do you do this? But as I said, Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've met psychopaths. And it's like, how many people have you been like, nah, that guy's definitely a psychopath. Because they're really good at making these veils and stuff, so they feel like real people. I mean, they're real people. But inside. It's like some Patrick Bateman sh- Although I feel like if I met Patrick Bateman, obviously a fictional character, but you'll be like, (laughs) definitely a psycho cuscus say keys was fairly good at covering up evidence and disappearing bodies and unlike some serial killers he had no desire to brag about his kill count they were all committed for his own private enjoyment and while he privately sought some individual anyone but preferably a woman to briefly share his particularly jaded view of the world with he was not sure he was not what we'd call a statement killer either keys had very little interest in imposing his own ideology on the world or winning converts to his point of view the man was a phantom psychopath a poisonous wallflower who just quietly enjoyed killing and the disturbing thought is that there are possibly thousands of high-functioning psychopaths like him out there quietly adding to the missing persons list and almost never getting caught yeah it's kind of what i was saying isn't it it's like there's lots of people out there who would i mean i don't i just feel just doing catch a criminals i'm like criminals are generally a bit shit, but these are all the ones we get caught there's loads out there who are just getting away with crimes just all the time because i mean statistically the vast majority of crime is not punished And that's kind of scary isn't it i mean i guess like more violent crimes generally the percentages are higher but it's like isn't the statistics like one in a hundred or something i can't remember i remember this from studying and it was like well first of all the person's got to be caught doing the crime and then they've got to be reported to the police and then the police have to decide to do something about it and then they have to get enough evidence and then they have to go to the cp the 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 uh crown prosecution service i don't know what it is like the district attorney something like that in the states the state attorney something like that i don't know like the person who prosecutes the crime in court and they've got to decide whether there's enough to go on and whether it's worth doing it considering all the other crime that's going on and then you've got to go to court and then they've got to prove beyond all reasonable doubt that they're guilty and i'm like that's that's a lot to go through <laughs> to like punish someone open my trembling flower or your petals are crushed in 1996 when Israel was 18 John and Heidi Keys rejected the doctrines of both the Ark and Israel Covenant Churches just like they'd done with mormonism previously they sold their mount aladdin cabin which john and israeli completed six years earlier along with a smaller cabin that israeli built for himself when he was 16. the keys family moved to a small pseudo-amish community that was also in the colville district i guess the flaky former los angelinos thought that they'd give it a whirl or perhaps it was because john keys had been running up a backlog of bank loans to pay for his large family's already modest backwards lifestyle i'm kind of surprised that they have that i kind of imagine these dudes just like living without money <laughs> they, they don't have id they don't have assets to secure things on they have a ha- a cabin that they built by themselves i didn't imagine Im- imagine them having electricity let alone being able to go into her back and be like, hello, I'd like you to loan me more money. Be like, dude, are you crazy? You live in the woods. You'll just disappear one day. And well, look what happens. There's also some indication that John and Heidi gradually pissed off the rest of the people in the small communities that they moved into. I wonder why. Meanwhile, by this time, Israel had secretly abandoned Christianity altogether and was becoming increasingly enamored with the principles of Satanism. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. He was becoming a Satanist or some sh**. Which is a mixture of occult practices 20th century hedonism and counterculture wait how do you have 20 what is 20th century hedonism is that like just you have a good time like it was the 20th century (laughs) okay and counter is i mean i guess it exists because david's pretty smart and just because i've never heard of it doesn't mean it's not a thing (laughs) uh and counterculture and in some cases outright atheism which mocks mainstream christianity by choosing satan as its avatar i prefer the uh is it the pastor god? There's like the sp- sp- Spaghettifarians or something? And they, they worship the great spaghetti monster just to mock religion? It's a bit, you know, it's a bit less on the nose than Satan, isn't it? There is no question that Israel Keys fell into uh, the branch of atheistic Satanism rather than the branch of witchy boos who tried to summon the devil. <laughs> Israel, yeah, that's the thing. Also, if you're like, I'm a Satanist because I don't believe in religion, it's like, oh, okay, because I thought you were a witch, which is different, there even like, arguably i mean it's a it's a bit more weird to believe in witch stuff than it is is it more weird to believe in witchy stuff than it is to believe in the stuff that was in the bible i mean arguably not i guess it's all just a bit i don't know to me to me my opinion it's all a bit silly it's all you know that's not to say i'm i i don't you know not believe in the being stuff we don't understand i absolutely do i just don't believe it's written in a really old book (laughs) or a new book that doesn't mean i'm a part of some weird cult (laughs) Israel Keyes at this time also became a big fan of heavy metal gangster rap and rap metal music and in particular insane clown posse from which he appeared to form his own somewhat incoherent set of philosophical ideas by and large Keyes was more likely to derive what he felt was profound philosophical contemplation from listening to edgy song lyrics rather than reading books or stewing over arcane intellectual treatises. On March the 3rd 1996 12 year old girl Judy Harris an amputee with two prosthetic feet who had previously partaken in the special olympics went missing in colville county she was last seen heading to an early morning church service on her own a month later Where's it really still called the special olympics that doesn't feel very pc is it really A month later, on April the 16th, Julie's purse and prosthetic feet were found near the Colville River. A year later, on April the 16th, 1997, Julie's skeleton was found in the woods by a group of children roughly six miles outside of town. That's another thing, like, I often read these and I'm like, I just think about back to my childhood how normal it was. Like, number of skeletons I found as a child, same as the number of cats I killed, zero. After Israel Keyes' arrest in 2012, several witnesses came forward to affirm that Julie and Israel knew each other, and once at the local pool keys was seen talking to julie whereupon she is said to have given keys her phone number and address julie's mother also uh, julie's mother remembers him hanging around the neighborhood nobody has ever been charged in connection with julie's murder at the end of 1996 having already outstayed their welcome in the pseudo-amish community the keys family moved to do oregon where they lived in a health food warehouse they lived in a warehouse okie dokie i laugh at this but a friend of mine lived in the gym he was getting his house decorated and he didn't have anywhere to stay so he lived in the gym like it was a, a friend of his ran the gym and they had a room and he stayed in this room at the gym and i'm like that doesn't sound like so much fun <laughs> it wasn't providing unskilled labor for. they were providing unskilled labor for the seltzer family but israel keys now an adult stayed behind in colville to work on a construction crew besides who the hell wants to live in a warehouse <laughs> exactly Israel was also not motivated, except for Canadian YouTubers, apparently. Like, there's two huge... Two huge? Who's the other one? The guy who does Unbox Therapy. He just does his YouTube channel in a massive warehouse. That's pretty cool. Is Linus Tech Tips, he's Canadian. Is he in a warehouse? I don't know if he's in a warehouse, but it's quite common. I don't know why <laughs> it's like canadian youtubers love warehouses. israel was also motivated to stay behind because he had gotten a girlfriend which did not particularly please his christian parents who wanted to keep a tight rein on that kind of thing if only they knew how deep the rabbit hole went on june the 27th 1997 29 year old single mother marlene emerson was murdered in a mobile home seven miles outside of colville and the mobile home itself was burned to the ground the body of her 12 year old daughter oh my dude what it's always worse when it's children it's just like i it's just it, i guess it's like because i look at my kids and i'm like oh they're so pure they've done nothing wrong they've not ever been a piece of shit. and it's like when you're an adult it's like yeah i mean look you, <laughs> adults are broken and not brilliant i mean most most people it's just like you you know i don't know most people are good though aren't they i feel like if i got murdered i'd be sad <laughs> but obviously fact boy thank you for that brilliant insight but i feel like with kids it's just you look at them and it's like they can't they're just there's just nothing wrong about them they're just so sweet you're like oh come on no uh cassandra emerson was found three miles away on july the 28th nobody was ever charged in connection with their murder meanwhile israel picked up sticks and joined his family in oregon his father john was seriously ill and could barely work anymore the keith's family had moved out of the health food warehouse and were living in tents in the forest i don't know whether that's an upgrade at least you've got your own space but you're also living in a tent this is like one of like when i was a kid i dreamed of like that It'd be great like living in the forest in a tent and i i, I don't know i just like robinson crusoe just was like, I love that idea. Like, being on an island, you could build things with the trees. You get little monkey servants. Is that Rob- Robinson Crusoe? Where? No, it's not Robinson Crusoe. There's like some 90s TV show. <laughs> Am I totally think It's like, Uh, is it The Simpsons? Where they do the, uh, the equivalent of Lord of the Flies. Uh, they like make fun of it. And then Bart's like, yeah, yeah. And then the monkeys will be like serving us. It's not what is that from what's the original thing there but that's what i imagined it would be like as a kid and the reality is i'll be dead within three days because there'd be no fresh water and uh, it would be horrible but, I mean, look, I'm going to say that living in tents in the forests is an upgrade. There were They were renovating a local house in the woods, which they planned to sell in order to have the funds to move to yet another isolated location, this time in rural New York. One day in the summer of 1997, Israel was observing Swiss Family Robinson.
1: The Swiss Family Robinson transformed this island jungle into an exciting tropical
0: paradise. Is it the Swiss Family Robinson? I love that shit. Is that what I'm thinking of? Where they had this elaborate thing in the forest. I don't know if they had the animals, like the monkeys and serving, bringing them teas and nuts. But was this? I don't know. It's I loved that as a kid sorry this has been a way too long let's carry on one day in the summer of 1997 Israel keys was observing swimmers in the Deschutes River there keys abducted an unnamed teenage girl dragged her to the outhouse of a local campground tied her up by the neck and arms and to the handrails and her arms to the handrails of the toilet and he raped her according to later testimony by keys he was planning on murdering the girl and dumping the body into the cesspit but he lost his nerve for keys not murdering the girl was one of his deepest regrets psycho since it was the biggest loose end that he left open prior to letting his rental car be captured on camera by the texas atm in march 2012 the victim has never come forward oh my dude go for come forward like please like go back in time and be like look just come i know it's difficult and i know oh god i don't want to comment on this anymore but it's like this guy had this terrible criminal career of murdering all these people and maybe he wouldn't have But i don't want to blame i'm not blaming this person don't get me wrong there is no blame on that person that person is a hundred percent victim but it's like okay i don't know reporting crime seems quite important to be honest (laughs) that seems like a good thing to do doesn't it in early 1998 the keys family sold their oregon property especially crimes like that especially crimes like that the Keyes family sold their Oregon property and moved to the tiny hamlet of Constable, New York, right next to the Canadian border, where they bought a cabin in the woods. Because John Keyes was heavily in debt by this time, he sold Israel the cabin for $1 and tried to prevent the bank from foreclosing on it. Uh, don't think that's going to work, mate. <laughs> don't think that's how it works. Be like, yeah, 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 I have massive debts on this house, so I'm selling it. Well, you can't sell it because the bank owns it, doesn't? Don't don't they? On March the 2nd, 1998, 19-year-old college student Suzanne Lyle was last seen at 9.45 p.m. getting off a bus at the University of Albany Uptown Campus, New York State. Two men are suspected of her disappearance, one of whom is Israel Keys, and the other is John Regan, a rapist who was later arrested for kidnapping a high school girl in Saratoga in 2005. The case remains unsolved. For Keyes and Country in June 1998, only half a year after moving to the cabin in Constable, New York, Israel Keyes, now aged 20, had a falling out with his parents. He told them that he did believe in Christianity, he told them that he was joining the United States Army, and eventually he told them to get the hell off his property. Oh, because his dad sold him the house for like a dollar. <laughs> ah. <laughs> oh well the bank would probably be get off the the hell off my property anyway soon enough so uh that's pretty intense though israel entered active duty on the 9th of july as part of a mortar platoon in the first battalion fifth infantry regiment in the united states 25th infantry division oh my gosh how deep does it go the first battalion of the fifth infantry in the 25th infantry division the united states military really large we knew that fact boy john keys israel's father would die in 2002 while israel keys would eventually repair his relationship with some of his siblings their endless attempts to convert israel to whatever keys family religious flavor of the month they had going on was was a constant source of tension between them though over the course of keys military career he was posted at fort lewis in washington state fort hood in texas and on the sinai peninsula in egypt His commanding officers largely described Keyes as a good soldier, someone who followed orders and did not lose his head under pressure. Initially quiet and reserved upon joining up, Keyes quickly fell into the jarhead lifestyle. It was here that Keyes first developed his taste for alcohol. Starting with drinking large quantities of beer from the mess hall, eventually you can drink when you're... They have beer in the mess hall? I guess, yeah, that does make a ton of sense. (laughs) Of course they do. I've seen those Vietnam movies where they have those big coolers of beer. And, uh... Is it generation kill that's a great show that hbo uh, miniseries about the invasion of iraq that was that was a good one and is that the one where they're drinking beer in the desert yeah so i guess there's like lots of beer but i feel like they'd be like don't drink so much beer <laughs> so that we can see how much beer you're drinking it's not healthy <laughs> uh, eventually growing to the skulling sculling of an entire bottle of bourbon whiskey over the course of a weekend god damn or over the course of one night god damn that's a lot of booze it might be fair to say that in addition to being a functioning psychopath, Keyes became a functional alcoholic. He also briefly dabbled in weed, LSD, and cocaine. In the year 2000, Israel keys was posted to Egypt. Before the Arab Spring, a US pensioner puppet regime. I don't know what a pensioner puppet regime is. Oh, okay. Looks like we're going to get an explana- explanation where essentially the USA paid the Egyptian government such a staggering amount of money each year that they fell into line with US policy. I guess it's better than war but it's like oh no it's like america's only spend enough on military already do you need to also be paying con- other countries in like i guess they call it aid money or whatever but it's egypt i'm sure there's lots of other countries that need aid more than egypt Keyes was part of a multinational border force that made sure no unauthorized armed groups passed illegally across Egypt's borders. Largely, this was to plug the League of Men-in-Arms into the Gaza Strip and West Bank to avoid strengthening Palestinian partisan forces there. While on a few days' leave in the Israeli city of Tel Aviv, Keyes later recounted that he frightened both a Norwegian exchange student and an Israeli prostitute with his sexual sadism and stopped himself short of murder because he knew the likelihood of being discovered by his squad mates or army authorities so he suppressed his urges until he was out of the army yeah those I don't know like they're definitely you're in a much smaller group there because it's like yeah it was one of the guys who was on leave he was in the Marines they were like okay and also the military has its own police which I know all about because of those uh Jack Reacher novels which I love love those books and uh with the main guy used to be like a military policeman and he's an extreme badass. In the autumn of 2000, Keys met a woman online named Tamia, a single mother, ten years his senior, who had an eight-year-old son. She was a Native American who had been part, uh, who had part African ancestry, and she lived on a reservation at Nia Bay in Washington State. I point this out to underline the fact that by this time, Keys had completely rejected the cultural and white supremacy of his former colville community. Well, I think that's about the only good thing we can say about Keyes throughout this whole video. He isn't a racist anymore. Too many amateur psych analyses I've seen write off Keyes as an Oklahoma-style murderer But it's more complicated than that tammy and keys met for lunch in december of that year while keys was on leave and wound up getting drunk all night together a few months later tammy fell pregnant with israel's future daughter who was born in october 2001 israel eventually became so fond and protective of his daughter that he would henceforth avoid murdering people who also had young dependent children well what a hero that's really really good of you Meanwhile, on the 8th of July 2001, Keyes was honorably discharged from the army, enjoying a relatively peaceful term of service. He got out just before 9 11 and the totally well executed and definitely not botched 20 year occupation and democratization of Afghanistan. (laughs) Ha! Not something we should laugh at, but uh, it is a good joke, David. Well done. I mean, (laughs) the whole thing, bit of a joke, isn't it? Good lord. The poisonous wallflower. Israel Keyes moved in with Tammy on the reservation at Near Bay. Keyes worked as an odd job repairman and later for the Parks and Recreation Department. His romantic relationship appears to have been stable for a handful of years, and Keyes was by this point well practiced at maintaining an outward facade of control and respectability. On June the 24th, 2006, Gilbert Gilman, age 47, was hiking in Olympic National Park, roughly 80 miles from the reservation at Near Bay. That afternoon, Gilman failed to turn up for a meeting with a friend. His car was found a few days later in olympic national park near a ranger station when asked about his activities at this time key simply shrugged and replied near bay's a boring town Although Keyes' home life had so far been stable, Tammy was diagnosed with uterine cancer and was given a hysterectomy and was put on heavy pain medication and thereafter fell heavily into depression and extreme alcoholism. In 2005, Keyes met another woman online named Kimberly, a traveling nurse, and the two began a secret affair. Then in 2007, Keyes left Tammy for Kimberley, and due to Tammy's alcoholism, Keyes gained custody of their daughter. Keyes, Kimberly, and his daughter then moved to Anchorage, Alaska, where Keyes started up a construction business. Israel Keyes quickly gained a reputation in Anchorage for being a quiet reliable chap a decent contractor and a fellow who kept his nose clean people even gave him the keys to their home so he could effect repairs on them when they were out of town this included a lawyer at the district attorney's office in anchorage owning his own business allowed keys to make his own schedule and he took full advantage of this by frequently traveling across the rest of the united states so now ah this is how because we're, we're at the beginning like many 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 pages ago I was like wait how does this dude just have all this freedom he ends his own business but it's like i run my own business and it's like i have to go to work all the time i just can't go on a 12 day cruise without my family it's like what is your life on april the 9th 2009 deborah feldman a 49 year old homeless drug addicted sex worker disappeared from hackensack new jersey based on incriminating statements keys made during his interrogation the fbi are almost certain he murdered feldman a body was never found on april the 10th 2009 the next day israel keys robbed a bank in tupper lake new york while brandishing a handgun and disguising himself with sunglasses and a fake goatee and mustache and later he later admitted to this robbery while under interrogation this makes me wonder about the whole kidnapping thing how much money do you get from robbing a bank i feel like these days like a lot of banks just are cashless now which is like so many banks they're just like we hold no cash on premises and it's like you're a bank it's literally what you used to do and now it's just like moving around ones and zeros um but like i feel like a bank robbery is gonna yield you more than 30 grand right and he kidnapped that girl and spent like a year going around like using her atm card which must be super risky every single time to collect 500 dollars a pop which and that kidnapping and murder is a much worse crime than armed robbery in my opinion no it is (laughs) kidnap rape murder it's a much worse crime than armed robbery (laughs) armed robbery is a bad crime don't get me wrong don't do that but it's not as bad so if it's about money why not just rob banks and kidnap a murder rather than blackmail you know uh, the kidnap for money ransom is the word i'm looking for why even bother with the ransom it seems just so pointless. On June the 3rd, 2011, 21-year-old college student Lauren Spira was last caught on street cameras leaving a sports bar in Bloomington, Indiana. She was heavily intoxicated and was walking home alone, having forgotten her mobile phone and her purse in the bar. The day before, Israel Keys had flown from Anchorage to Chicago, Illinois, rented a car by paying cash, turned off his mobile phone, and had driven 230 miles to Bloomington, Indiana. The day after Lauren Beira's disappearance, Keyes began an arduous 900-mile drive from Indiana to Vermont. What happened next? Keyes admitted to, in full, under interrogation. Keyes went to a sharp bend in the nearby Winooski River in Vermont, where he unearthed a cardboard box, which he had buried there two years previously. Keyes removed an orange Home Depot bucket from the box, which was one of what Keyes called his killer caches, or what the authorities and press would later term kill kits. The orange bucket contained 22 caliber AR-15 bullets, a black plastic silencer, a Ruger 22 charger rimfire pistol with true-glow scope, a Ruger 10-22 semi-automatic rifle, multiple gun stocks and slings, a bipod for gun mounting, a bag of damp, prid moisture absorber to prevent the spread of odors, four empty gun magazines, a lot, large quantities of drain a duct tape ro- rope zip ties and A shovel. Oh my god. Like, we just defining premeditated here, aren't we? On the evening of June the 8th, 2011, five days after the disappearance of Lauren Spearer in East in Essex, Vermont, Israel Keyes tried and failed to abduct a man who was leaving his car and going to an apartment complex. According to Keyes, the guy was simply too fast getting out of his car and running into the building to get out of the rain. If the oblivious man had been a little slower, Keyes had already worked out a meticulous way of raping him, killing him, and disposing of the body. Instead, Keyes returned to his hotel where he stayed until midnight before heading out again that is like my my dude (laughs) thank you rain (laughs) do you ever wonder like how close you've been to like death I often wonder about this I'd love to be able to look through my past like have some sort of magical machine and tell me when is the because it's probably not what you think it's like oh yeah that time you uh that that light turned red the crossing the road lights and that caused you to be a minute late to cross the other road and if you'd have made it you'd have got run down by a car I'd love to know what the closest it's just fascinating. And this guy's would be like, well you always got killed by Israel Keys, didn't you? Be like, holy sh <laughs> It's pretty intense. Never let a good plan go to waste. Uh oh. Is that guy still gonna get murdered? God damn it. On 12 p- at 12 p.m., Keyes left his hotel and walked a few minutes down the street to a residential neighborhood. He scoped out a white residential house that he chose at random. Keyes proceeded to cut the telephone and electricity lines to the house. Donning a headlamp, he broke into the garage and grabbed a crowbar from the wall, which he used to break the glass on the door leading into the house. Keyes then made a beeline for the master bedroom, where he woke Bill and Lorraine Courier, a couple in their 50s, and held them at gunpoint. Keyes confiscated a small revolver from Lorraine's nightstand, some jewelry, their ATM card, some medication, and some intimate clothing, packing it all into courier's own suitcases during the encounter lorraine tried to physically resist being bound with zip ties so keys grabbed her by the throat and threw her down on the bed saying if you do that again i'm not going to be happy keys bound the courier's hands told them to put on their slippers and escorted them to the garage where keys loaded them into passenger seats of the courier's green sedan taking care to buckle up their seat belts keys then proceeded to drive the couriers to a second location while in the car Bill tried to reason with keys during his later interrogation Keys said I just kind of laughed at him I don't know if I actually said anything but in my head I was like you don't even know how much planning I've put into this just walk away the planning refers to planting the kill kits in Vermont the selection of the second location he was driving them to and the method with which he was planning to dispose of their bodies he is not referring to planning the courier's to be his specific victims which was a spontaneous choice it could just have easily have been the dude running into his apartment building or anyone else in essex vermont that night keys drove the couriers to an abandoned farmhouse at 32 Upper Main Street at Essex Junction keys took Bill out of the car first and forced him into the basement and tied his arms and legs to a heavy stool with Bill lying flat on his stomach on the floor when keys returned to the car he found Lorraine was standing outside whereupon she made a run for it and keys chased her down and tackled her keys then dragged Lorraine into the farmhouse up the stairs and bound her arms and legs to an old bed with duct tape he then tied a rope around her neck and wrapped the whole thing around the moldy mattress from bottom to top fastening it with a compound knot at this point keys heard bill struggling and shouting in the basement instinct had taken over upon re-entering the basement keys found that bill had broken the stool into pieces and was in the process of freeing himself from his bindings Keys held a knife to bill's throat intending on raping him bills put bill pushed keys he staggered backwards a scuffle ensued where keys hit bill multiple times with a shovel knocking him unconscious keys then returned upstairs to retrieve a 22 caliber handgun with silencer he returned to the basement to see bill on his feet again keys shot him multiple times in the arms chest neck and head and then proceeded to go outside where he smoked a cigar dude super up <laughs> Afterwards, Keys went upstairs and sexually assaulted Lorraine. Like Samantha, it was quick, and it happened twice. The second time, Keys choked her to a state of unconsciousness. After she came to, Keys removed her bindings and forced her down into the basement, where she showed Lorraine the body of her husband. Keys then proceeded to throttle Lorraine to death. To be sure she was dead, Keys took a zip tie and tightened it as tight as it would go around her neck. Keyes moved the bodies of Bill and Lorraine Courier to a corner of the basement, whereupon he poured two gallons of drain cleaner on them to speed up decomposition. He then covered their bodies with multiple standard sized garbage bags. To further conceal the bodies, he threw old junk and wood panels on top of them. Originally, Keyes had planned to burn the entire farmhouse to the ground to conceal the evidence, but morning was fast approaching keys could already hear sounds of traffic on the road instead keys reasoned that since the abandoned farmhouse was in such poor shape that anyone who bought the land would simply demolish it he gambled that the new owner would not commit a full inspection of the in- to an in- a full inspection of the interior before demolition much less go down into the basement where it smelt like an animal had died just to kick some trash bags in the corner he gambled correctly the house was demolished four months later in October 2011 without an interior inspection concrete was poured over where the basement once was to transform the sal- site back into a field. That's, like, why would you take that risk? It's all this planning, all of this meticulous planning and stuff, and then it's, like, just taking a massive risk like that. It's just very strange and, like, sort of sloppy, but also he's not sloppy because he has all these weird kill kits and stuff. I just don't understand. I don't understand how his brain works. Probably because it doesn't work normal once keys confessed to these murders investigators drilled into the concrete but they were not able to locate the bodies they tracked down the dump where the wreckage of the house was taken to there they fought there followed a three-month operation costing millions of dollars to excavate the dump but investigators still never found the bodies when keys was told about this he simply thought it was funny keys left vermont the day after the murders drove back to chicago where he dropped off a rental car flew to san francisco where he stayed the night and then returned to anchorage he later disposed of the courier's possessions and disposed of his kill kit by burying it at the blake falls reservoir in new york state only two such kill kits have ever been found but according to keys he had placed several of them strategically throughout the country death sweet death it's unusual. I mean, I, maybe he's going to kill himself or something, or he's going to get killed by the police, because there's only two pages left today, and I don't feel that's enough space to fit in a trial, and all of the stuff that goes along with that, and also this last chapter is called Death, Sweet Death, so that also kind of gives it away a little bit. Anyway, let's jump in. After his arrest in Texas for the kidnapping of Samantha Koenig, Israel Keyes was shipped back to Anchorage. For the next nine months, Keyes would be continually interrogated by the DA, Anchorage PD, and the FBI. He voluntarily submitted to 24 such interviews. This was not to show off, nor was it out of the goodness of his own heart. Keys made several demands in exchange: coffee, candy, cigars. But, but also the police keeping his name out of the press so it wouldn't upset his daughter and securing him an execution date so he wouldn’t spend too long locked in a cell. Keys had not expected to get caught so soon, and when he did, Keys said he fancied it would be a fiery shootout with the police where he was either killed or where he was either killed or killed himself. Keyes said i can't be satisfied sitting in prison my entire life i'd rather go out while i still have my sanity and some good memories before chuckling to himself israel keys confirmed that he murdered samantha koenig to the devastation of her father he gave them all the details, and it took authorities ten hours to retrieve her remains from the bottom of the frozen Alaskan lake. In his attempts to negotiate a swift execution, Keyes also admitted to the murders of Bill and Lorraine Courier and gave explicit details. Beyond that, Keyes admitted, much more vaguely, to four murders in Washington State, one murder in New York State, a rape in Oregon, multiple bank robberies, house robberies, and arsons. But not getting what he wanted, a quick end to the process, he became cagey about the details and ceased to supply names. When confronted with the pictures of suspected victims, Keys would sometimes become physically aroused but either say he'd heard the name but didn't remember the story or simply say that he didn't want to talk about that person yet keys became increasingly perturbed that he wasn't getting what he wanted on May the 23rd 2012 during a court hearing keys broke loose of his leg irons and jumped over the railing into the gallery the guard punched keys in the face but it did not stop him from running much less knock him over it took several guards tackling him and hitting him with a taser to bring him down more months passed and keys turned many of his conversations towards his childhood psychology idols like Ted Bundy and personal life the district attorney at one point told him that the more bodies we find the more likely it is that you'll get that execution but keys was not won over by that argument for some reason keys thought that the police were in a position to actually supply him with an execution date when in fact that was the responsibility of a judge after significant due process yeah I mean I don't think you get to choose how quickly you get executed I guess you can I get the feeling appeals are mandatory if it's a if it's an execution right you don't get to choose whether you appeal or not I don't know why I feel like I know that but I feel like that's a thing in the US I mean because yeah okay in the early hours of December the 2nd 2012 key slit his wrist with a razor blade which authorities to this day still don't know how he obtained he also tied his blanket around his neck and attached it and attached it to one of his legs so that as he passed out from insanguination, his leg would be lower to the floor and strangle him the guard found him around five or six a.m blood had already seeped out from his cell under his body was a crumpled blood-soaked suicide note which had become so saturated that special technology was required to figure out what it said some pieces of it still remain illegible the press was generally filled with frustration that the suicide note made no attempt to provide further information about his crimes but keys never had any intention about helping anyone or revealing his crimes to the world unless he got something out of it he wasn't a show-off he wasn't a statement killer he was a phantom who simply enjoyed quietly and meticulously killing other media reports scholars and sometimes the police themselves have referred to keys suicide note as rambling poetry that's simply not the case they are song lyrics his preferred form of self-expression and philosophizing just like he enjoyed listening to the lyrics of insane clown posse and thought the chaotic dark and sometimes violent imagery their lyrics evoked were sublime it is in the suicide note that we get a glimpse into the worldview that possessed keys soul though not alas any idea as to the extent of his victims The lyrics boil down into four main themes. First, he uses a couple of metaphors about his capture and imminent death. Second, he rants on a bit about how there isn't a God and how humans are just bags of meat. Third, he denounces the pointlessness of American consumer culture and how they are all avoiding confronting the biggest problem of all, namely, how we are all going to die and how meaningless life is. It would appear that from his deconversion in his teen years as an atheist, Israel never really could come to terms with his own mortality. Fourth, he tries to instill his feelings into a naive, unnamed victim before it just turns into a rash of violence imagery symbolizing a murder I've mulled over the lyrics in the video but they are too long and I don't want to force Simon to read out all of that out of trash one can easily find them online if the audience is curious good luck reading and interpreting yeah I don't feel we need to like <laughs> give him any platform for his stupid ideas stupid murderer ways he sounds like a shitty unabomber I mean the Unabomber's is a bad dude like he blew up and killed plenty of people uh but you know i feel like his manifesto it was like okay it has got a point <laughs> whereas israel keys just likes insane clown posse and violence like a psycho hidden under keys's mattress investigators later found 12 drawings done in the artist's own blood 11 skulls believed to represent keys's victims oh my god the most likely of which were mentioned here in this episode the 12th drawing is a pentagram with a goat's head believed to represent keys himself his final victim on one of the skulls is written the words we are one Dismembered Appendices Number one, according to the skull drawing theory, Keys murdered eleven people, of which only three are confirmed. However, after Keyes' arrest, a deluge of reports fuddled into the police, where witnesses were able to identify Keys stalking their uh, stalking for victims. In one case, he approached a fisherman, asked him about anyone knowing he was there, and only lost interest when he realized the man had a son. In another, Keys tried to abduct a woman when a car broke down; she was saved. She was saved by a passing motorist. In all, there are roughly 40 credible reports where witness testimony seems to accord with the timing of keys movements around the usa it's possible even likely that keys stalked regularly for years and murdered more than 11 people number two additionally keys frequently moved around canada and also had an obsession with belize so investigators have concluded there are probably other victims in other countries as well <laughs> belize okay it's like yeah yeah no i love the anchorage alaska canada and belize that's in like central america right south america north south america belize the most thing i know about belize isn't that where john mcafee had all of like he had some troubles down in belize wasn't he accused of murder or some shit (laughs) john mcafee (laughs) had a crazy life Number three, while keys seems to have ce- uh, ceased killing people near his places of residence after he was discharged from the military, it's still a puzzle why keys would target Samantha Koenig, who lived in his town. Some witness accounts say that Samantha wasn't random, but was actually known to keys What is more puzzling is why keys should endanger himself by insisting on going through with a random plot. It was high risk for $30,000, exactly what I'm saying. It's way high risk. Just rob those banks the FBI field there is every indication that after roughly 16 years of successful murders keys simply got arrogance and thought he could avoid detection and if he had kept his car off that one ATM camera he probably would have and the Phantom Psychopath might still be quietly killing to this day and the scary thing is there are Phantom Psychopaths out there who didn't get caught by ATM cameras and are absolutely still out there killing today I don't know where you are. Maybe you're just walking the streets alone right now. (laughs) In in which case, I'm really sorry. You'll probably be fine statistically. Don't worry about it. Just, uh, you know, have a quick glance over your shoulder right now, just to be sure. This has been an episode of The Casual Criminalist. Thank you so much for watching or listening, however you consume this show. If you're watching and you want to listen as a podcast, yes, yes, it's on podcasts. And if you're listening as a podcast, you're like, ooh, maybe I'd like to watch this. Of course, it's on YouTube. Just search Cash the Criminalist. If you are listening, please do consider leaving a review. Spotify now has ratings. Yes, please. Five stars preferred. Thank you so much. And I will see you in the next episode.